what are you reading right now? <laughs> right now, one of my favorite books is is Lord of the Flies. I haven't read it since I was a kid, but it's oh. one of my all-time favorite books. Why do you like it? Because it, it shows like how quick we return to tribalism, and you see that happening now, even yeah. politically, and how like just such a thin veneer of control in society. And if that breaks down, boom, all hell breaks loose. And so when they're rescued, they all start crying because they were like they had made this hell for themselves. And they had the opportunity to take control. And when they did, it was not what they wanted. It didn't turn out to be what they thought it would be. They they created a sick society. And the weakest get abused and used. And the, the brutal and the strong, they get to take advantage of things in a certain way. And the one guy who was innocent is sacrificed. It's a brutal book. It's hard to it's hard to read, but I'm like, man, that is like a parable on human history. Somewhere between South Russia near the Black Sea and the Baltic, several thousand years ago, between 1450 and 1600, Italy was the of the During the Middle Ages, the English took more than 10,000 words from Britain. Snow, cement, and ivory on tongue. Someone called us Babylon, those hungry hunters tracking down the The darlings on the sideline Dreaming up such cherished life To whisper in your ear before you die It's party time for the gods in the town of Babel Shout and meet them all Can't meet Abel Have a ball, y'all See the ledges crawl with the cocks under the table, watch him dig the graves. Cause Jesus don't save the guys in the tower of Babel. Watch him dig the graves. Cause Jesus don't save the guys in the tower of Babel. This closet's always 
in the soul-omnibulent nightmares. Raging outwards, cruelty, my soul is a cancer growing, unrelentless, resentful from the weary, wretched cold stupidity. Majestic shearing in grotesque burning and torturous light fumes. You're freaking misunderstanding. No, not misunderstanding. The grotesque greed of beauty in all its forms and your limited weary reservations of meager subjects. Grow out of a subject. Grow gadfly or butterfly. Never a subject. I never travel without my diary. One should always have something sensational to read in the train. Oscar Wilde, The Importance of Being Earnest. Five minutes past twelve midnight.
to read, doesn't read briefing reports, doesn't doesn't like to get into the details of the things. Scan the shelves in the stack for the treasure, and perhaps, as one of my professors says, to find something that might open a new door. From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world, genuine modern radio. Radio Flom. of electricity was beginning to widen. He hasn't been using the library very much. Cameo. Pair. Balcony. Pale. Anchor. Miniature. Minster. But as Monty embarks on his grand tour of Europe, his quest for a life filled with pleasure and vice is in danger of coming to an end. Not only does his father expect him to take over the family's estate upon his return, but Monty is also nursing an impossible crush on his best friend and traveling companion, Percy. Still, it isn't in Monty's nature to give up. Even with his younger sister Felicity in tow, he vows to make this year-long escapade one last hedonistic hurrah and flirt with Percy from Paris to Rome. But when one of Monty's reckless decisions turns their trip abroad into a harrowing manhunt that spans across Europe, it calls into question everything he knows, including his relationship with the boy he adores. It is simply a tale of how two people can be important to each other their whole lives, and then, one morning quite without meaning to, one of them wakes to find that importance has magnified 
into a sudden and intense desire to put his tongue in the other's mouth. He hasn't been using the library very much. It looked like a normal downtown area of Central Europe until 5 o'clock. Its very name became synonymous with perversion, debauchery, and creativity. Berlin in the 1920s was the sex capital of Europe. Well, the library staff, too, books are too, to be known thoroughly and minutely, to be used wisely and well. From the Portuguese, the English borrowed only a small number of words. The best known is port wine. He really doesn't know all the help a public library can give. Much time and care are taken to see that the staff know these tools perfectly and are able to use them efficiently for the benefit of others. My name is Monica Vega-Latona. I am currently a graduate student at the San Jose State University iSchool, which offers an online program for information science. So I'm working on my MLIS. I currently work and reside here in Sacramento, California. I'm an artist, activist, and writer. I also am an intern at the Lavender Library Archives and Cultural Exchange in Sacramento, which is where I'm actually speaking to you now. I see a little lavender color going on in the background. These are behind me are the advocates dating far back as 1971. Oh, do you know where uh, lavender comes from? I actually don't. To a cabaret in the 1920s. Okay, Look cabaret. up the lavender song. In fact, if this is working right, Aww, it should be playing just it. about now. Das Lila Power of editing. Light, a German cabaret song, of course, because you're you're a flamist. I took a lot of art history classes, and that's how I came across your path. And the one thing that drew me to history is I'm always looking for where am I in it, where am I myself in it, especially as someone who identifies as Chicana and queer. Like, where, where's my story? Because I know I exist. I know my family has lineage. My family came with the farm workers and the railroad. So... Why are we in it? So I, my draw to history is, where are we and why aren't we at the forefront? And why aren't we as much as part of the narrative as, say, cisgender white guys <laughs> and women? I think because all the white people <laughs> took over at one point. Uh, I, I never identify with my own group. And I also don't always believe in the status quo because the more I've studied how systems work, the more I realize how mm -hmm. flawed they are because uh, humans aren't perfect. So I've had people who believe in set systems as perfection and something you strive for and there's usually just major flaws in all of it so tell me about dewey as in dewey decimal well you are <sighs> working in a library right now <laughs> yeah which is really interesting because there are different library systems so for example the loomis library which is just north of sacramento they don't use the dewey decimal system melville his parents loved him so much they named him melville it's something that he established in 1876 it's basically a category of numbers corresponding with subjects so for example if you're looking for something about languages or um uh, linguistics, you would go to 400, and then within that organization, <laughs> there's a there's a number corresponding with the year that the 
book was published and also corresponding with the catalog number and the order that it was added. As a teacher, I would watch someone glaze over with that. The truth is we need these systems because there's so much stuff we so have much. to deal with. The <laughs> French invented the bureaucracy and even the guy who invented it said people are going to abuse the system, but we need something like this to keep yeah, track of everything. And it's really interesting because I, I'm also a library assistant and when I assist, especially middle school, high school, basically explained that it's an address where a book lives and someone thought it was really important to be in this category. So it's the best way that I can explain it to them on like an elementary level. So we go and we find where the book lives and sometimes it parked its car in a different neighborhood, but it's still there. <laughs> it's on this or it's someone stole the car and didn't return yeah. it. And we're, you know, is something that's for a public library system, for something that's funded on people's tax dollars and it's technically free, then if someone's stealing a book, I there's worse things in the world. Um, stealing information and feeling, stealing knowledge, I don't think we have enough access to it. And there's... There's some systems that prevent us from accessing that. So AOC, who I love what she's doing because she's really just pushing back against the status quo, which is what I think every generation needs to do. She talked about libraries becoming the same thing as a Starbucks, staying open and providing stuff in the evening, entertainment and stuff like that. I remember the CEO of Forbes two years ago said... All the libraries need to be bought up and put a Starbucks inside. And if you want to piss off a librarian, that article was it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember it, but it was this. Uh, no, yeah, describe. Okay, so this the CEO of Forbes and this fresh out of this like this madhouse of an election came out and said that there was no need for for libraries anymore, that they all just need to be bought up and turned into like Amazon stores with the Starbucks inside. And that didn't sit well with people because that was saying like, you have to buy something to be there. You need a key to the bathroom. It limits people who can go. You're also limiting the public. It becomes a privatized corporation thing. And public library system went from being privatized and privately owned in high academia to public library for everybody. So why? <laughs> There's always that thinking of, well, we got to make a profit off of everything. That's uh, That's been one of the more interesting discussions I have about FLOM because yeah. uh, we did an analysis. There's no way to make money off of FLOM unless I do a speaking tour or we have products and they sell sometimes. The, it, we 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 barely pay for our internet right now. And that's okay, because I think what we're doing here is important. Mm -hmm. And the message I kind of see going on is, how do we change the dialogue about libraries to where people want to go to them for more than dusty books, which is the perception of what libraries are about? Although I love tearing through dusty books. Let's talk about perceptions. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about perceptions because people think of the library. I just think it's a great it's a great place to be. Once you start seeing that these things are offered free, free services, I can't imagine being a parent of four in the summer and I can't afford daycare. Like where am I going to go? Library has free lunch programs. 
Library has free DVDs. Library has quiet time. Sometimes. Library has new books that you could check out. That's that's the... That's the thing that, uh, in terms of perception, dusty old books. Now, I've known librarians where we get into conversations about what new stuff is available mm-hmm. out there. And next thing you know, it's sitting on the shelves. Yeah, let's talk about new stuff. Because now, so we have the sort of sessions like died out. People are doing good. Tax dollars are doing great. There's, um, there's a height in hiring librarians right now in Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. So we're adding, I say we, <laughs> What I've seen is that <laughs> from the background of someone with library science, it's that you're seeing an increase of not only new books, but things in multiple languages. What were once called world languages are now literally community languages. And so it's really important to have the new things that people are into. So there's a lot of apps out there right now. Um, there's Hoopla, which is free, free. <laughs> Uh, movies <laughs> so it's free movies free books free cds free streaming documentaries free ebooks they also do free comic books and my my research is with graphic novels and youth so we'll get to that but free graphic novels there's other apps i'm just gonna look on my phone and i'll tell you all the apps that i have from neighboring libraries fun fact if you live and reside in california you can go to any california public library and request a library card and use have access to their services, and if they deny it, um, ask for their supervisor <laughs> and see <laughs> and see what you have access to. Because even if it's not to like the physical stacks and the collection, you can get like e services and stuff. So there's Flipster, which is a free magazine app. You don't have to pay money to get the to get Time Magazine or Economist or whatever it is that you sway on. You got that. There's also the um, Tumble Books for Children, which is like book flip. It's a children's e and audiobook app. There's Libby. That's an e-book audiobook app. Overdrive. So I have like five or six apps that just access to free new upcoming things. The library system is trying to stay relevant. We're trying to stay relevant and current to the crowd. Have you visited your local library graphic novel club? So we can talk about access because that's like my big thing. That's kind of one of the reasons I came into the library system in library science is the the lack of access to people and communities and who is it serving who is it not serving what is missing i grew up dirt poor we didn't have a lot of money i didn't have a lot of things for a long time but the one thing i did have was the library in the state of texas they are really 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 invest in their libraries there's multiple book awards they do a lot of programming they do a lot of um they do a lot of book lists so if you haven't heard of the blue bonnet award (laughs) it's the annual children's book of like this is the best book in the state and in the past five years what would be considered controversial such as um gay marriage or trans books those have been like the number one book award award winning books which is amazing so for my lived experience books were free i could access them they were also a safe space for me when my home was not a safe space and it was a place where when i was in high school could connect and be a part of something i did media i did the morning announcements and so that was my connection of getting information out there even though you know high school you don't like your peers or anything but it's still like hey, I'm representing a face that you don't often see in this school, majority, white majority school. It's like, but I'm here and I'm here to broadcast to the world information. Use of libraries, Mm -hmm. because uh, 
public spaces, I've noticed just as a teacher, they get run down rather fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've seen that with libraries. I mean, there's there's a reason we have these stereotypes. Just just watch the opening of the first Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> I like cringe when I see those books fly off the shelf. I'm like, someone's going to have to pick them up. <laughs> but that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Or the worst case scenario where you have to delete something from the collection. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to think about that scene right now. I... Y- that's so use of libraries when things get run down that I think that's both a good thing and a bad thing being used is a good thing we want people to come and use them we want to see people in those spaces I enjoy people coming and using the space whether it's to rest to learn to communicate to basically learn the, their next new favorite thing I I enjoy that there is this struggle about like upkeep and keeping things clean and keeping things nice but that's where uh, county services come in and help keep that clean. And it's also something to be said. It's this customer service thing where where you make a connection with someone and you you say like, hey, we're glad you're here. Oh, don't forget to throw your, throw your trash. Oh, yeah. So that bathroom, you need a key to get into that just because there's like there's like a baby changing station. It's It's really also creating a human connection with your patrons and with the people who are visiting your libraries. So it it prevents that mess from happening. Well, a visual merchandiser told me this once involving just department stores. And depending on where you set up the department store uh, will depend on how much of a disaster things are going to be during closed hours that you have to clean up. And um, they discovered uh, in some places a big mess. In other places, uh, stores in good shape. And it really comes down to people just respecting the space around them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some we have some ways to go as humans. Yeah. Well, that's always a challenge. I think for as someone who interns here at Lavender Library, we have a little stack over here to my left of of archived newspapers. And they haven't been put away in a while. But guess what? We had Sacramento City College and Sacramento State University students need to come in and do research and they use they actually use their archives so I'm okay with those being there because they might come back and be like where do I put it oh it's still in the basket (laughs) I like it's still in the basket and that's fine I'm it's probably in my job description to put them away <laughs> as an archive <laughs> intern, but I would, you know, I, I like that it's getting used. We can talk about literacy and literacy access. Okay. We know that the recession happened and that sucked. And then the country got back into a good place, economic place. However, there is still a really big gap about for people having access to internet or computer. When I worked for Dimple Records, a lot of my questions were reference questions. So someone would call asking a movie and a title, and they couldn't quite remember the title. And they said, I think this actor or actress is in it. And I would ask them, do you have access to a computer? And about four out of five times, they would say no. So they're actually coming, they were coming to, they were calling us because they wanted to have, they wanted to obtain this thing, but they did not have the information to give us to try and find it. So that's something that I always kept in mind. So when I would help somebody at 
either at the desk or over the phone, it's like, do you have internet access? And you go, no. I go, that's fine, because I can open up an internet tab, and maybe we can figure this out together. And it takes up maybe 10, 15 minutes of your time, but they're coming to you and not realizing, like, oh, the library could have done this from, I don't have to buy this, like, after all this work. <laughs> like, I spent 20 minutes of your time. No, I just wanted the answer. Okay, thank you. Bye. It's like, as opposed to the library, it took you 10, 15 minutes to find the answer to this. You can check it out. You'll have it for three weeks and uh, just bring it back when you're done. Let's go around capitalism when we can. <laughs> one of the things we do as humans is we'll find one source of information and we'll just latch onto that. And if you think about it, it's because that's how books work. That's how articles work. And if you don't have access to the internet, you're going to grab whatever you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. And if you do have access to the internet, good library. I, I, I point out a lot that there's still a lot in libraries that have not shown up online. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a tendency for us to just stop at we got enough information. We're not going to go beyond That's this. So about yeah. access to so something that... We're seeing, uh, like, we're seeing in media about like news reports where students are getting Chromebooks and they're getting laptops at school. It was like the funding would get cut to the libraries. And California, in fact, is actually the worst public school um, library system. We are at the bottom, the very, very bottom of a public library and school media services. What schools are doing to combat that is providing. Um, laptops, Chromebooks, and tablets to students in a public school setting because they do not have access to the library. And the, the lack of hiring school teacher librarians has decreased significantly because there are no libraries for them to go and serve and work at. So that is a really big issue in here in California. Now, for those attends a public school in the Sacramento area, for San Juan students, they actually have a digital e-card to access the library for digital services such as computer, internet, um, digital books, ebooks. But there's still a really big disconnect. My expertise and what I'm going to is in youth librarianship and youth um, and child librarianship. And I was trying to figure out, well, well, what are we doing to keep youth and young people to come to our libraries? And what can we do to get them to stay to be lifelong learners? And so uh, after the recession 20, in 2010, it turns out that young adults, 14 to 24, that were under the poverty line had no access to computers. They were actually using the public library computers either for fun or for job searches or for school. And to think 61%, like more than half as young as 14, that's a really, really big number. By 2013, when you have 40 million people using the public library, there's still that big disconnect of people in the poverty line not having that access to technology when you look at the dropout rates, when it's Latinos are at 15%, Native Americans are at 12%, African-American students, 8%. And that's because they don't have media literacy. Like, how do you, how do you solve that issue? And so one of the things that came out of that was in Chicago, the public library system has this thing called UMedia. And I think Flamas would be excited about this because it's a free program where you bring in, all you have to do is just be a teen that goes to a local school. You have free art supplies, gaming. There's a, uh, there's a, a sound engineer studio. You can make your own podcasts. You can, you can cut your own records. They do their own videos. So Steve, if you were like 14 and living in Chicago, that would be your scene. Because it's like all this free art media, art history stuff, all at the library. 
Uh, the reason I'm excited about graphic novels, and that was my first research project as a graduate student, was to look at the literacy for for students who liked graphic novels. And there's a couple of different crowds. One is the reluctant reader, somebody who does not enjoy reading, who hates reading, but you put in a picture and comic book format, it's a little bit easier to grasp than, say, where the red fern grows and there's no pictures in it. It's like, you're going to give me this drama, but there's no visual aid? Forget it. Then we also have a crowd of people who are lifelong um, literacy um, learners who enjoy reading, who enjoy, who've read everything, but they haven't read graphic novels. And so graphic novels are really great for them to have something under their belt to just be challenged by. And the third one that I'm, that I'm the most excited about is offering those who are learning English as a second language. So what I'm experiencing is that there are people who are struggling with English and comics and graphic novels are really great way to learn how to read a story when you have sound effects like boom or moods and emotions just created by imagery. And then that text will help push the story along the way. So I really encourage people that if you haven't tried a graphic novel, try a graphic novel. There's a lot out there and there's a lot of new narratives and a lot of immigration, refugee stories, queer people, um, a lot of a lot of really fun things out there right now. Comics were my entry point into literacy. That was mine. I totally was into like my dad would read like Archie and he to give me like Garfield and it, I, he, they weren't forced upon me. It was just like just read it. And now I'm like reading like these highly sophisticated like graphic novels. I like went oh yeah from there to like Mouse and Persepolis, um, the essential dykes to look out for. I, my favorite publishers are like first, second graphic novels, the um, Boombox. They do a lot of the Lumberjane stuff and Stephen What Universe. I discovered, and, really and I talked to students about there. this because I, I've polled students uh, who reads for fun, and not many hands go up anymore. And my leap, I remember, was going from the visuals mm. of comics into reading a well-written novel and, but the visuals only come along with a well-written novel if you can make the visuals in your head. Otherwise, you can get lost in the whole thing. And mm-hmm. so I, I kind of introduced that concept. A big thing for me was once you get into academia, there's a lot of dry stuff that you have to just sort of sludge through. And it's very hard to visualize nonfiction, but uh, I did oh, I did I have a class on how to skim this stuff. <laughs> so I'm constantly skimming huge volumes. Mm-hmm. And it may take me a while, but just access to the information became so important. I'm at the tail end of being a, a Gen Xer, kind of a Gen X Xennial, a Xennial, I think. So I'm part of a I'm part of a a generation that like we caught on to computers, but and we really truly latched onto it. I I'm definitely a multifaceted person. I uh, I wanted to be one thing, and I ended up becoming other things. But that's okay because I already have a bunch of likes and interests, like books and art and writing and and being creative. So for me, it works. That's like that's fine. Um, the challenge is is the literacy aspect. When people hear literacy, they think, oh, it's just reading and writing. No. Um, in terms of jobs, library services can help you come in and meet with a job coach and help you figure out what what skills you have and what strengths you have as an employee, as a worker. And there's 
a lot of IT assistants who, if you're at a computer, you raise your hand, they're like, I can't get this PDF to upload. Can you help me with that? So in terms of literacy, the library is trying to do a lot of things. And even if it's not for for personal for for job growth, it's for personal growth, like book club, learning how to talk to people about what you like, uh, painting, journaling, art journaling, uh, just having those things to be a human. Go from robot to human, just visit your local library, really. Like there's a lot they can offer. Just go into Google, open up a tab, type in library, comma, services, and leave your location on and see what's available to you. You'd be surprised. And if there's something you're not seeing, say something to your library because they're willing to listen, which is really nice. They'll listen to their uh, patrons and their tax dollar people. They're not going to have the hair on the bun and go, shh. No. If anything, like the way I look as a human, I have a half-shaved head and I, I have tattoos like I, I, I'm wearing a denim jacket with a ton of enamel pins and buttons, and I probably look more like you know your your teen going to a punk show than uh, a stuffy librarian. Forty, fifty years ago, you have librarians who came into this career thinking like I'm going to be around books and information, and I'm the gatekeeper of information. Awesome, great. The more services and programs you offer, the more different types of people you'll get. And since the library is open to everyone, it's really important to have some level of social emotional intelligence and customer service so you can better help people. So right now there's this big shift of uh, old school librarians, the stuffy ones who like, please don't bother me. I'm at the desk. I'm not really here to help you. Those are actually like very like rare nowadays. There's a couple of them, but guess what? They're about to retire. So I'm part of a really big wave. Mm -hmm. I'm part of a really big, significantly large wave of people coming in either as a new career or a second career as librarians and becoming more people-centered, customer service-based. And hopefully we don't scare you off. The long-term goal is to keep you coming and to be using the library as long as possible because without people the library can't exist same thing with the lavender library we're membership funded it helps us keep the lights on and pay the bills so people can come here free of charge and access all these things and that's what that's what teaching's about too i mean a lot of it's changing perceptions i have to remember every time i get a new mm-hmm. class they're going to see me as the stuffy old guy and uh, i even had one student say i listened to your podcast and it wasn't lame You're right, no human being would stack books like this. Knife. Take. A book I'm reading is called Set the Boy Free, which is an autobiography of Johnny Marr, who was the guitar player and songwriter in The Smiths in the 1980s. The first part of the book describes his childhood, growing up in a very close-knit community of Irish migrants in Manchester, England, in the 1960s. One day, he sees a guitar in a shop window, and he decides then and there that that's his one passion in life. And he pretty much pursues guitar playing and an obsession with popular music throughout the 70s, and does it any time he can get any free time to himself just to play guitar. By the time he's 18 in 1982, and he's getting dismissed together, there are so many different subcultures in popular music, punk, post-punk, electronica, and there are so many different models for becoming a successful guitar player. 
So the main theme of the book that emerges is how can he be both different and original and technically innovative and strike out and make a mark in this very crowded field and at the same time uh, satisfy his impulse for artistic expression, be himself and be different at the same time. And because he accomplished so much so early, he describes how he lived in the shadow of that accomplishment for the rest of his career, pretty much to the present day. But uh, he's pretty happy with things mostly, and he, he writes in a very offhand and talkative way, and there, there are a lot of very interesting anecdotes and cameos by other musicians of the time. Highly recommended. The best music, we play it all for you. On Radio My name is Jane Spencer. And I'm Brian Spencer. We make up the duo Finkel.
of Brian and I experimenting with music from about 2010 until now. We, we met in college and we, we met in an acapella group and we started as a cover band in a bar with, for pizza and beer. We started writing music together and we started out as kind of an avant-garde folk opera band is what it turned into and then we had an awakening with a producer that we were very fortunate to work with named Bill Skibby who has worked with the Black Keys and Franz Ferdinand and Wild Bell then we were introduced to him through our good friend and a man who used to drum with us named Sword. Michael Gard is his actual name but he doesn't even he hardly turns his head to that.
music that we've uh, kind of reformatted is just an extension of what our our uh, progression in the music industry has has been like and it's just a reflection like most music it's a reflection of what our environment has been in the last last decade and uh, we're very fortunate to have worked with a lot of really bright and uh, wonderful friends and individuals that have helped shape and craft what uh, people are listening to now it's been a lot of fun they've they and we have all had a lot of different uh, inspirations. And every time that you work with a new person, you get a little bit of their artistic vocabulary within you. And then you start using it even subconsciously. And it's, that's kind of what our music has turned into. Do you see a direction that the, the band is kind of taking right now? Definitely. Um, we are really inspired by... Uh, vocal melody and also by by kind of hip hop beats with a more melodic top line for our voices. So that's that's the direction that we're going. We we call it electronic soul pop, and that's the that I think that that's where we're where we are currently to us at least, and where we're heading. It definitely has a, a good feel to it. it. It really seems like it's come to a spot where it, where like your music knows what it is. It's not, um, you know, kind of just trying to mash everything together. It's just really come together as a harmony. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to create. So, what's uh, next for for your band? Uh, what what kind of projects are you guys working on? Well, we uh, have finished up. Um, the last couple singles that were going to be released before our, uh, our debut EP. Uh, this project has only been around for a year. We're coming up on our one year this Saturday. Um, and so having logged, uh, I think at that point we'll have six singles out or seven singles, six singles out. And, uh, we'll have one more to come out in August. And then, uh, this fall we'll have an EP, um, 
that we'll release at some point. Uh, the date is yet to be determined, but we're currently in the studio with uh, a producer who's, <clears throat> again, very bright and very talented out here in Los Angeles by the name of Kush Modi. And uh, um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the trajectory that we're on for this year, along with other assets that that will help uh, marry everything together. And Kush Modi, he, uh, back in 2016, Brian and I were talking about who our ideal producer would be to work with, and we adore Kush Modi's work. And when we moved out here, Brian contacted him, and they met up and got along really well. We sent over our music, and he wanted to work together, and now we we are currently working on our first track with him and it's sounding really good. <laughs> We're excited. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm, I am, I, I'm jumping out of my shoes as they say. <laughs> it's awesome to see creators excited about the content they're making. Thank you. Yes. I, I, I love seeing it in, in others and, um, feeling it ourselves. It, it, it feels wonderful. We've just been trying to ride a perpetual wave of, <laughs> of following the fun. That's kind of been our mantra since we started this project. And I think that's going to carry through uh, to the upcoming years. And it's made the creation process a lot, a lot more fun. Uh, what would you say is the most fun part of creating? Oh, just in general. Hmm. Boy, that's a big question. I, yeah. I'd say... Um, for me, I guess maybe it's the discovery, uh, of, of the self. Um, anytime that you create something new, uh, you're, you're innovating in whatever field that you're in and to create something from nothing. Um, you know, it, this is totally an exaggeration, but, uh, at points when you, when you line something up like a a baseline or a top, top line and, and combo meal it with the with the uh, percussive elements of a track, you can feel like an alchemist and it's a great feeling to be able to come, come up with uh, um, something that has never existed before. And, you know, maybe you use it or maybe it's thrown away or maybe it's reused and recycled at a different point. But um, I think the rediscovery of the self perpetually uh, keeps me engaged and um, also keeps me engaged with uh, what, what Jane is creating and, and really what everybody is creating. It's, it's a fun, fun thing to be a part of this music community for, for those reasons. Yeah. I, I love the idea of creating something from nothing and, I, I love the idea that it, that the elements are already all there in the ether and that we just through opening ourselves creatively and letting go of a lot of inhibitions can pull them together and things seem to just line up magically a lot of the time. And sometimes they don't and you need to spend a little bit more time with it. And even then that's a different kind of discovery through more perseverance and patience and that's just as beautiful so with all of the the work you guys have made what has been the the best experience you think like what song piece has like just really felt right when it, it came together it's always hard to pick the favorite child right so yeah, it, yeah so it's that's a, another tough question these are great questions i i think um I think it's always the last one that we've worked on. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> true. Any anytime we work on a new track, it's always the best thing that we've ever created. And so hopefully we can continue to ride that uh forever. Um 
anytime that we collaborate with somebody else, uh, you know, Jane and I have a unique situation where we, we write together perpetually. A lot of people write by themselves and then bring it to collaborators. But Janie and I, uh, because we're a married couple and we've been creating together since 2010, um, we just come at this a little bit differently. And so when we can bring somebody in and, uh, have them be a part of the creation process, it's always a, you know, an incredible opportunity for us to learn from, from what they are experiencing through music and how they come, come to it creatively. And so, yeah, I, we, we've recently featured, uh, an artist out of Chicago by the name of Namdi and, uh, he's, he's a brilliant, uh, hip hop artist. Um, and we, we knew about him when we lived in Michigan and have continued to follow his career. And he's going to be on a track, uh, that's releasing in August. And so recently that's the most excited that I've been about our music with the exception of the, the studio, uh, experiences that we've had for the EP but I can say honestly that I am learning and um, I'll forever be a student of mixing and and shaping sounds and it's truly not my forte it's something that I'm I'm working on and uh, I think it's good to keep a learner's mind in that way anyway and when working with Koosh he we, we bring him a fully formed song. And then he is helping us realize the sounds that we have in our head, but not quite able to, uh, figure out fully by ourselves. At least I'm not. And on, on a technical level and seeing our, our song take its true form with his expertise, that has been incredible. Yeah. Just see it really shape up to exactly what you envisioned. And more. That's pretty cool that you, you have a dynamic there with a producer to really just flourish in, in your sound and everything. So how do you usually go about, like, what's the very first starting point for a song, though? You said you two write together. Are you starting with, like, lyrics or, or just with, like, a sound? Like, what, what usually kicks off the idea of a new piece? Brian and I are fascinated by writing workshops. And one of the reasons why this started was because we we wanted to discover our sound. We wanted to have a reason and a time limit and parameters to create new music. And so a lot of our creations come from starting, from setting parameters for a writing workshop and then moving from there, whether that be tempo, um, song subject, or we've, we've, we get really abstract with it, but we that is usually how we start is with our parameters. That's really cool because, you know, it makes you have to think creatively. You can't just start putting ideas out there. You really have to, like, try to solve the situation and everything. It, it makes it a little bit easier when you aren't able to do everything in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely picture that. You know, you have at least a starting point. You know, okay, we have to fit into this bracket. Uh, You know, to be honest, I I haven't heard of anyone really working with that uh, dynamic before. So I think it kind of shows, like, in your music then why there's, like, this uniqueness to it because you you have such a different process of the way you just start off on a new piece. Well, thank you. Yeah, for for better or for worse, we we th- we thoroughly enjoy it, and it's uh, it's been a 
a journey to be able to get to this um, style of creation. Uh, and, you know, with any journey, there's always peaks and valleys. And so we've been able to get to a point now where we're constantly uh, engaging in, in new workshops happily and, and uh, uh, shaping some of the songs that will be on the EP and, and then beyond whatever comes after that. And it takes away, it takes away the pressure of it too, because it's just a writing workshop. So if this one's not the right one, then maybe the next workshop will yeah, be. Or maybe a part of that workshop makes the cut in another song. You know, there's, there's a lot of piecemealing things together when, when inspiration hits and you know what library you need to borrow from, then you can go back into your own catalog and, put things together. I was going to ask, is there ever times where like those constraints seem too much and it just hasn't worked out? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, there's, there's always points where creativity is kind of halt halted, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's uh, about the workshop itself or maybe, you know, something happened, um, in a specific week that took our, our brains out of the creative sphere and, and we weren't able to really feel the creative juices flowing as, as well as normal, but, um, but even then it just works the muscle just as a good exercise to make you think about it in the future. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not for not. Yeah. And I think as creatives, you're always creating just the medium changes. Like, you know, what, what we're doing right now, this is a huge part of, uh, of your creative process. And, and so this is just another outlet for you and for us to be able to express ourselves creatively. And, um, this is equally as important as, as a writing workshop because it's allowing us to have dialogue about creativity as a whole. And that will shape, you know, uh, whatever ends up happening tomorrow. So maybe you are setting us up for a creative workshop. You never know. <laughs> oh, I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll you'll create a song that works if the internet disconnects or something, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I've been thinking a little bit about some of these sounds that have been happening and they're pretty pretty fun, so you're not wrong. Hey, there we go. I, I don't know if you, you've heard a lot of the Radio Flom aesthetic, but we definitely do embrace the idea of, while keeping radio modern, still tapping into the sound of old radio, getting that static and, and some yeah. of the flavor that came with the, the lack of technology. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, like, it's like a film camera. It just has that, that softness to it and that, that reality. There's a reason we chase after the analog. Uh, you, you said you've gotten pretty creative with some of the different like workshops you've done. What was like a particular fun one that just seemed kind of off the wall? Um, we, 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 when we first moved to LA, um, honestly speaking, I wanted to wear colored lenses. I just had a vision. I had a vision of, of wearing colored lenses. And so Brian and I brainstormed about how to make that a writing workshop and, we chose one color at a time and each wore them for a month or so, uh, every waking moment and as in other than working out and we would live in pink or blue or green or yellow. And we'd have to see how the colors altered our perception of the way that, that, that we received what people said, the way that we, um, our, our hunger changed, the way that we heard things differently, our mood changes, and just to see if anything would change at all. And it 
surprisingly or unsurprisingly, it really did alter our perception and our it really altered our reality and therefore guided our creative decisions in a different light because we were living in a different world. I actually really love color theory and color therapy. So I definitely understand what you're talking about, how, uh, you know, looking through a colored filter doesn't only like just change like the mood, but even like how hungry you are or like how you're, you know, just taking things in and stuff. Yeah. I wanted nonstop sweets when we were in pink. (laughs) Yeah, and that makes sense, definitely, with, like, a lot of color theory stuff. So what was your favorite color, then, to to live under? Well, it it also had to do with the way that the glasses fit. (laughs) Oh. Um, Because some of them were uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. See, I've done something like this before, but I had identical sunglasses, so, so the shape was always there, so... Uh, that's a extra little twist you added to it. But uh, yeah, did you have one that just particularly felt right? I liked pink. I, I like rose-colored lenses. Yeah, and I, I suppose I I enjoyed all of them for, for different reasons. But um, I think I had uh, some of my best creativity come from yellow. And I'm living in orange at the moment. Um, and that's been uh, equally as uh, inspiring. But I also liked blue and <clears throat> and red uh, was, was great. And pink was great. And so they're, they're all, they're all good for their own specific reasons. Yeah. They all do a a lot of cool stuff. So I know orange is said to make everything taste better. So, you know, go have some good meals. I thoroughly enjoy eating already. So, and it's our, it's, it's definitely proven your point there. I'm continuing my love for, for food. So, (laughs) so maybe this, this next project you're working on is going to be pretty hungry then. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I I made a great dinner tonight, so (laughs) hopefully it improved it. (laughs) He's really lucky then. Uh, Speaking (laughs) of hungry, for uh, those hungry for your content, uh, where can they find you guys? Uh, So we're kind of everywhere. Um, If you type in Finkelband into your search bar, we should pop up. Uh, The website is finkelband.com. We're on Spotify. uh, you can just type in Finkel and a lot of our stuff is animated. So, um, you'll be cued into a graphic of, of Janie and I, um, uh, that either Jane created, I created, or, uh, another content creator that we work with, uh, created. And so, uh, we're on Apple music, SoundCloud, all of the streaming services, all of the social media We're we're fully tapped in as much as we want to go off the grid, we're fully tapped in. Off the grid for yourselves, but on the grid for everyone else, right? That's correct. That's correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your your webpage is pretty cool. Uh, when you go to the, like, bio section, it's got, like, both of you on, like, a face on a can and, like, the water is spilling out and kind of, like, going over just a different mashup of both your faces and, like, different areas and, like, sizes and angles and, like, it's just a really cool piece of work actually. Thank you. Yeah, that was something we 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 wanted uh we wanted to create a storybook with our bio and we just had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, this project has been a lot of just um marrying all of our creative mediums together to create one super art project that that we can continually have fun with and um so far so good. 
It's everything we want to do and nothing that we don't. (laughs) That's perfect. That's what makes it whole and, you know, really come together. And, you know, just enjoying the whole process really does reflect in the music itself. Thanks. Appreciate it. So you said you two also do some of the visual artwork for some of the things here? Yeah. um, I am a graphic designer and Brian is as well. And we we wanted to use Finkel as a way to express ourselves both audibly and visually. So we have a blast creating the visuals to go along with the world that we're creating that that coincides with our music. We've also teamed up with a lot of, um, again, very talented and, and kind uh, animators and, and uh, graphic designers that have helped bring some other art uh, to life, all of our uh, official music videos, um, they're all animated. It's just kind of our, it's one of our things that we really enjoy uh, creating and, and seeing other people create uh, in tandem with our music. When you get to see somebody else's interpretation of your own art, that's always an, an incredible experience because you're going to see things that you didn't, you know, uh, forecast. And, and, it's always a really special experience to see how another human's brain is working um, in a similar field. And so we have uh, three animators that we've worked with thus far, and we're, we're working on our fourth animated video that will be released in July. And uh, it's just been a really fun process being able to bring our childlike creative selves to the forefront of this project. We both grew up watching <coughs> cartoons and, and, uh, we were both into animation uh, as kids separately. And so being able to actually be involved in that kind of medium as, as adults has been a total pleasure. It really does all come together. The, the artwork that you guys have really blends so well with your, your musical style. So, you know, I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to work with like these animators. Cause it just really brings that flavor out. Thank Thanks. You. Yeah. It's been fun. Thank you. Stay sober and wait till it's over
This is Radio Flom. My favorite book is The Shining, but I have no reason other than it's really great and I love it. It's that time again. Welcome to Inside Jokes with Jessica. Take it away, Jessica. Oh, boy. Hey, guys. It's Jessica. Welcome. That would be my dog. She's outside. I'm inside. So that's where it's funny. I'm going to just keep going. You know, one day I stared at a wall, and oh, by golly, that same wall was still there the next day. I don't know why I'm telling you all about it, but I sure am. And I'm getting a loud because why not? Nobody else is in this room. It's just me. Let's see if I can get so loud that the drunken assholes next door try to shout at me to shut up as though I don't hear their orgies every other night. Also, I am the one that called the cops on you multiple times. I'm rereading my favorite book right now. It's called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. There's actually a whole series that you can read that comes after the book, but the first one, Ender's Game, is definitely the best. Yes, they did make a movie out of it with Han Solo in it, and it just it didn't do it any justice, of course. What would you say if your best and only friend told you he was from Mars? Well, that's just what Alan Mendelssohn told Leonard Niebel. And suddenly, it didn't matter if Leonard was chubby, wore glasses and wrinkly clothes, and wasn't liked by anyone else at Bat Masterson Junior High in the snobby suburb of West Kangaroo Park. What did matter were the plans Leonard and Alan made with their strange new friends at the Bermuda Triangle Chili Parlor. And before you could spell C-3PO backwards, Leonard and Alan could make people and things do whatever they wanted them to. Imagine levitating your whole school. The book is Alan Mendelssohn, The Boy from Mars, by Daniel Manis Pinkwater. Read 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. It's a long book, but it's really amazing. It will transport you to another place. Radio Flaw. We are all flawless. You can be too. Because we said so. Check, 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 check. Shout out to Lewis Morris, my ZFG crew, my Soul Life family. Big up to Vic June, the vibes is back, bro. Uh, I dream in burgundy hues, they keep me comfy. Call up my lady whenever I want her company Relax, I want peace while seeking a peace of mind But it never came easy, not lazy What I find is a child from the 80s Mother betrayed me and she left Like I fell out of the womb as soon as she crept So I practiced and adapted and adopted Silhouette, social scenes I kept Abandonment and neglect Like try your best, I heard love Never knew what it meant Like a seat, touch the taste And I recognize the scent Like holding on to nostalgia For land before time I grabbed your hand and felt your love before mine Love us pink skin, let us sink in, reaching for atonement 
eyes wide open, I slumber in a moment Couldn't wake me up laying next to you in the morning I died, went to heaven, break, releasing serotonin Like part of my God, I'm human, showing emotion Like, oh God, I'm not human, splitting oceans Like most part in the Red Sea Must be ovulating so deadly Mother Nature gave us life, and we killing it gently And killing ourselves, feel well, we didn't recognize our balance Think I don't close the schemes, but your content is average Searching for way to sun, sleeps are peaking in our valley So I rally from the bean to Sacramento Valley About to hit the Gulf Coast, share a toast with the family Speaking clearly so people can understand me I speak in colors but I don't see the world that way I'd rather trade words and see lives exchange Hearts pump with raised fists, brown beautiful dangerous Thanks to those who came and went, still ain't been the same since Peace to the wandering and aimless Always looking for the roses in the pavement Wander down the slowly road, people looking at me crazy Alone and depressed is how I've been feeling lately But maybe I wouldn't have to feel so hard-pressed To deal with stress and all of these hardships If I was more honest with myself and all of these problems I would be much farther alone from where I started When I rap, I'd be feeling cathartic That's the art, reflection, and being nostalgic I combine the right rhymes when I write lines At times, it feels like the ink is my lifeline I want Love and unity for everyone like me But it's hard to teach the streets How to live with everything It's project to empty me As well as to set me free I hope you find yours eventually I hope you all find balance, peace and serenity And that you play this song to remember me So come on and set me free 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 Set me free First of all, I'm Chad. It's very nice to meet you. Hey, how's it uh, going? What's going on? What's the name? Uh, my name is Paul Willis. Uh-huh. And what is it that you do for Andrew? Like, what's your connections with him? Because Andrew basically just came up to us and said, hey, talk to this guy. So, <laughs> just, so we're just wondering, like, what is it that you do? What's your whole, like, um, Man, what's your I am, I am Andrew's anger translator. Anger <laughs> translator, right? So, like, a key appeals. <laughs> That's got to right, be a tough right. job, right? Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. Sure. I, um, no, I, uh, Andrew and I, Kind of go way back um, to the start of ZFG, okay, uh, which is Zero Forbidden Goals. That's the name of our crew. Okay, uh, man, when we wanted to raise the level of art and, and performance here in the city, we started right. kind of doing pop-up open mics all over town, um, and we really ran into a lot of resistance to like hip hop here in the city. What kind of resistance was that? It was just you know I think people are afraid of kind of the language or the image or perception that they have of hip-hop they didn't think that there were real messages in the music mm. and uh through just my community work andrew's uh community work as well and the artists that we kind of run with i think we were able to set a tone at those pop-ups and then help to kind of shift the culture a little bit in the city around uh, people's perceptions around hip-hop i think since uh, 2013, we've all kind of released a bunch of different projects, but we've done a number of different events to kind of show people that this is the power of the of the music and the message behind it. It can really be a transformative um, and change people's lives. So, you know, that's really the, the reason for the name of our crew, Zero Forbidden Goals, because there's nothing that people can accomplish if they put their mind to it and they put a positive group of people around them to help keep them accountable and push them towards that growth and progression. And like you said before, you said that there's a 
uh, a, usually a negative connotation towards hip hop, yeah. and I can actually kind of relate to that. And, not, and just so I can give a, like a, um, a view from the other side, mm -hmm. uh, usually it seems like all it is is like uh, money, bitches, and all that sort of deal. Right. And I feel like it, um, for lack of a better term, it, it leaves a lot of people jaded in that sense because they listen to it, and it seems like a lot of this modern culture is that it seems like this is all that it is. And like you said, you're trying to change that. Mm -hmm. And specifically, what what sets you apart from that that is really changing it, I guess is my question. I think for, for me, I've always been a writer. And I think that's important for this conversation because um, it's not just narrative writing that I've been able to kind of explore and, and develop over time. I work with students, right? <clears throat> so uh, for me, uh, because I work with students, and I'm hearing their stories. I'm hearing stories about their families, their communities. Um, because I'm a writer, I can then share their stories with people who may not have access directly, right? I think that there's a lot of those misperceptions that happen because there's not a connectedness, right? Like, if you knew people, then you wouldn't say that, say certain things about them, right? Um, like uh, Killer Mike did that uh, trigger warning episode okay. with, with Crips who were selling cola. It was Crippa Cola, <laughs> right? And people really liked the soda. Then they learned it was, you know, being created by Crips. And then all of a sudden they had an issue with it, right? Yeah. I think it's kind of the this, this same idea, right? When you kind of get to know the people behind the music, folks like 2 Chains, who was, uh, you know, top of his class in terms of academics, valedictorian, Lil Wayne, same thing, but then you hear their music, and it's full of that bullshit, right? right? Yeah. Um, but then you see what their charitable giving looks like, right? You look at uh, the fact that uh, 2 Chains, Waka Flocka wrote uh, cookbooks for people to help change their lifestyle, um, and just things like that. So for me, it's how do I use my gifts or my talents to then tell the community's stories, right? So okay. that's that's where some of that comes from. And I think that because we now have this community of artists who are all kind of share some of the same values around the importance of building up our communities, we get to hear more of those stories more often and break down those walls. And you mostly work in Sacramento for this, right, and everything. Yeah. But it sounds I, like all advice and logic that can be used everywhere else too yeah know? i you know i come from boston i'm not originally from oh, okay. the Sacra sacramento community um but i work every day in cv circle which is a community where if you talk to a bunch of sacramentans they don't know where that is right but it's a low-income public housing community here in sacramento and uh it often gets overlooked uh there's a new development that's happening right next door called the mills right and you check out their website and all the new condos and everything that they're building right, right. and uh <laughs> the projects aren't even on the map right huh, like really yeah and there there's you know advertising and marketing towards you know the bay area crowd is getting pushed out as well as empty nesters out of davis and stuff like that um you know uh for floor for one of those places at a minimum is three hundred thousand dollars and then literally you're right across the street you have families who make less than 10 right oh. so that's it's challenging uh, to kind of reach certain audiences, but that's what our work is all about. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of meeting people where they're at, having honest conversations, and hopefully the, the music, the art, the poetry opens their ears and minds and their hearts to other communities that they wouldn't have had access to before. So the whole point is to make that connection 
basically through the vessel of hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. And the hip hop is a global entity. It's not like this yeah. isn't yeah. new, yeah, right? Like it's, it's, it's everywhere. Thing, so. uh, we have a global audience in a sense, and we have so one person listening <laughs> in Japan. Exactly. Nice. Uh, what kind of like game plan can you give someone to copy this type of movement in a different community? So that you know, we can see the success you're having here with this, you know, goal and this project and everything. How can someone copy that to bring that new life somewhere else? Yeah, I think artist collectives aren't new. There's a ton of artist collectives all over the world. Um, you know, Berlin and India and just they're, they're everywhere. So we know that that exists. Exactly. I yeah. think what makes us different are what we value. And I know that there are a lot of artists who they care about the quality of their art. And that's important, don't get me wrong, right? Because sometimes it's the quality that'll capture people's attention, Yeah. but it's not the quality that'll keep their attention, right? It's who you are, what you value, and, and all of that. So for me, it's, you know, find a, a group of like-minded artists who just care about the community. Those people who really give a damn, that energy, that passion will show to everyone else and then you'll be able to gather a community around you because you've invested in them through your art and through your values they will then invest back into you it's good sorry so that actually brings me to another question Mm -hmm. um like you mentioned you feel like the the art and the artists are very interconnected so in certain cases do you feel like they're well do you feel like there are certain cases where you should actually disconnect the artist from the music and just enjoy the music or just enjoy the artist? Or do you feel like it should always be interconnected in that way? I, I think it's always interconnected, right? Like, if you're an artist, even if you don't write your music, the, what you choose to present, how you choose to present yourself is a reflection of you. Right, so if you choose to put out bullshit, that's a reflection of you. Ah. Um, whether or not you wrote it, or whether or not you um, had, you know, a, a ghostwriter, whatever the case might be, none of that really makes uh, a difference. I think what really matters to people is if this is how you choose to present, then we can take that for face value, right? But I, I think it also can be very dangerous when you separate the art from the artist, right? Um, you look at somebody like a R. Kelly, right, or a Chris Brown, or other artists, Bill Cosby, who've been accused, you know, and some of them found guilty, some of them still on trial, some of them not on trial, but like, yeah. we, we know what the deal is, right? When you For look sure. at folks like that, when you separate the art from the artist, what kind of message are you sending to the victims of their behavior? Sometimes right? you're empowering something just by enjoying something that doesn't show that content, but right. because it's based off of someone like that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's important. So just in essence, what you're saying, just so I can kind of translate it in my own, I guess, mind's eye, the whole point of art is that it is a reflection of yourself. So yeah. to separate it, that's kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. And it's not just a reflection of you. It's also a reflection of your community, right? So I think about somebody like a R. Kelly, like a Kanye, right? Uh, those are both two folks from Chicago. What does that say about Chicago artists, right? Do they all believe like that? Because they might just uh, support somebody else who's from Chicago or maybe music that comes out of Chicago, so then they immediately support R. Kelly, like, or, or Kanye West. Like, really, I think what um, the, that tension kind of shows to everybody is you know it might be a masterpiece in terms of the technical 
you know, how it came together, maybe the materials that you used or anything like that. Um, but at the end of it, it's still attached to the human being that produced that work of art. Right, absolutely. Yeah, you can carve a shit out of marble, but uh, it's still shit. It's still shit. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how good the materials that went into it and the effort. It's that goal of what's being spoken in the sense shit. Just it's there still. So it's important to look at it as, as a whole, right? Yeah. And just and know about it. Absolutely. And, and the internet now is democratized music, right? Like if you don't want to listen to something because you don't support the artist or what they stand for, you don't have to. You can go and find the underground artists, the local artists, right? You can use the internet as a tool to kind of tap you into that positive vibe and frequency. We're not chained by uh, the control of radio anymore. We have our own freedom to find all these things. Right. Yeah. And the more people like recognize, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the modern radio. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, you know, and, and the more I think people understand that the power's in their hands and that what they choose to put into their minds, what they choose to uh, consume um, and digest, whether it's music or art, food, fashion, family, any what they choose, right, uh, really affects then what, what comes out of them, right? When you're putting in that positive energy and you're hearing these positive intentions and, and pieces of art, you're witnessing that, you're a part of that, then what you give back out is positivity. So for people that are in a community that is represented by an artist that they don't agree with, like say there is a community and their main artist is putting out a message that they don't agree with, but they're, they're un they feel underground, they feel like they can't put out this new message for their community. Do you have any advice for that type of artist? You know? Yeah, I think for artists and for audiences, I think it's important to allow room for growth. Yeah. Right? Like... I was a trash rapper, you know, growing up. <laughs> I had somebody, I, I used to write all my raps in a notebook. I had a mentor of mine find my notebook, see what I was writing, and was like, hey, would you want your grandmother to hear this? <laughs> you know, like, like, would you be comfortable with performing that in front of our school? Just imagine your right? grandma looks at it's like, this is shit. Right. <laughs> and, you know, for me, I was, you know, writing down a lot of emotional stuff. I was angry for a number of different reasons. So but it has its value to get on paper, right. but not necessarily out there, you're right. saying? Yeah, you know, and I think it's important, you know, to, if you're going to use art as therapy, then that's, there's space for that. But I think that if you are uh, dehumanizing other people, in insulting people, uh, making generalizations that, uh, you know, harm others, I yeah. think that it's important to kind of recognize the error of your ways. And if you don't, if somebody calls you out based on your privilege or unconscious bias or anything like that, then that's a learning experience and opportunity. And if your next song or next couple pieces or your next album shows growth, then I think it's important for the community to also recognize, hey, they were in one place, now they're in another place. You know, we, they've been able to learn from the error of their ways. However, if an artist continues to reproduce after they've been called out, after they've been, you know, corrected and they're unwilling to learn, then continue to drag that person. Yeah. Because it's not cool you know, when people don't want to grow, right? Like, if, if you're not willing to grow 
exactly what's the point yeah like at anything though right it's like not just music and art uh if you're a police officer and you're not willing to grow and learn and and participate in professional development shut it down quit leave if you're a teacher and you're not willing to learn grow participate in professional like stop teaching yeah. Could you imagine if you were a doctor, right, and uh, some kid gets out of med school and, like, doesn't want to hear what you have to say after 20 years on a job? Like, that person's probably not going to be a successful doctor. Yeah. You're just not going to be successful at anything if you're not continuing to learn and grow. In art school, I learned that you can't assume that your first thought, uncriticized, is the best it could be. Because it's asinine. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I actually had a uh, question. I was, you mentioned earlier that in today's day and age, we have uh, this huge choice. So like, if you don't like this one artist, you can go and find this other underground artist and that may um, suit what you want to listen to more. Uh, my question to you is, do you feel like there are any artists out there that you absolutely should listen to simply for the experience? Or like, like um, for example, like if you're really into rock, like you have to listen to the Rolling Stones because otherwise you don't have that full rock experience. So are there yeah. any artists like in this sort of sacramented uh, hip hop group that you would that uh, you would suggest yeah um i think andrew defy's album ultraviolet is oh, of course. Is, is that well, obviously like i think if people haven't heard that yet like how that album was put together he'll tell you that it came from like a spiritual place right like the words the the music everything that's really interesting it, 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 that's it was, exactly what he told us yeah like it was written in order and that doesn't typically happen. I was saying the like, same thing. Yeah, it's right. very rare because that's usually a process in itself. It's a lot of work to find that album or the order for an album. Yeah. That's phenomenal that just came out. Yeah. And um, uh, Spacewalker is another like experiential artist, right? Her music sounds amazing when it's recorded online, but you need to like see this black woman, queer, like being take over a stage. It's an energy, it's contagious. She she makes her own beats, she sings, she raps, she plays multiple instruments, she dances, she has costumes. Like, it's a whole thing, right? Like, you can't listen to Spacewalker in the same way after you see her perform, right? It's, it's, it's a different uh, type of thing. And, and there are a bunch of artists who are like that. I think the Philharmonic um, is, is an experiential artist as well. Um, somebody who's strong messages in his music, but when you see him live and he's playing piano uh, and he's rapping like Common and singing like John Legend, like he, he completely transforms his songs for his live performance. I think that those are just amazing artists who are destined for some great things. So I think that self-reflection really comes out in live performances because it's impossible to separate the art from the artist yeah. in that area. You're yeah. seeing every Thing they are then yeah so. um, and and there's another artist I mean she's not from Sacramento but she's from my hometown uh, Umpa she actually just came out here to do a workshop at uh, UC Davis on Afrofuturism um, and while she was in town I kind of set up a couple other gigs for her um, but she is like the best hip-hop artist in Boston right now you know she's the 2018 like unsigned artist of the year and as a uh, queer black woman who's in hip-hop 
like those intersections never really occurred. Like she's speaking for an entire community of people that, you know, aren't fully represented. So it's gotta people, be a, like a huge weight and just knowing that she has that must be very inspiring. Yeah, and you know, it's funny cause like, so her name is Oompa, and when she plays with her band, her band is called the Chocolate Factory. So it's uh, I was so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the, the best the place to find her content since she's not a, a local? Uh, uh, Oomp Out Loud, O O M P Out Loud, which is spelled like O U T L O U D. Um, dot com or her Instagram that's her Instagram handle and all of that so that's where I would say just go go look her up um, or if you just type in Oompa O-O-M-P-A you know in Google like her stuff will come up um, but she's amazing she had a powerful presence while she was out here in Sacramento it really resonated with a lot of people here um, you know who are part of our community so hopefully she gets to come back out more hopefully people get to hear those artists who I mentioned more um I didn't. I didn't talk about myself at all, but uh, I, I will. I will plug. Paul is amazing. You can find all of Paul's work at paulwillis.bandcamp.com. Paul Willis is hip hop. Paul Willis is hip hop. <laughs> bandcamp. Yeah. One more time for clarification. Let's get the real yeah. website. Yeah. It's 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 Paul Willis is hip hop. Bandcamp.com. Uh, but if you look up Paul Willis is hip hop on Facebook or Instagram. That's where you can find me. This is Andrew Defy right here. Right, so we got Andrew Defy. Um, you mentioned that you're Andrew's kind of like a uh, anger, rage anger translator. translator. Anger translator. Do you have any like like at least one specific story about that? Where that or you had to just be there and be like, okay, this is Every what he's really saying. Every single time that I've asked Paul to go to a meeting, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> There's Every time it's a story. I bet you didn't know. I love you cause you say my soul The packed house, sold out show Good to see all of the people that I know Back and forth, left and right Up and down, side to side I feel your presence here with me tonight I love you hip hop, you just gave me light. See glimmers of the most high covered in light And the darkest of nights, the stars still shine bright Flashy cars and my clothes all covered in white When I die, I want my life remembered for the rights And wrongs, my mistakes, I've written in songs and poems to write more than get by and get along I take steps forward and I take steps back I give life forward and accept love back On track, some on time to the feeling is match Respect and love your sisters every time you interact Come in peace and understand it for your brothers in the struggle Innocent is the child that is labeled as trouble Hearts of grace, open minds, open space to talk You may never know the gratitude that lies in my heart From the start, creating art has always been about the spark You heard it in the park, but hip-hop came from the heart Ooh, I bet you didn't know I love you cause you saved my soul The packed house, sold out show Good to see all of the people that I know Back and forth, left and right Up and down, side to side I feel your presence here with me tonight I love you hip hop, you just gave me life Gave me life, gave me life You just gave me Celebrate the heart, I appreciate the mind Truth is what I seek, 
Love is what I find Balancing today's math I discover my kind And I see it in you The reflection's divine I wanna entertain your body While you entertain mine I'm trying to start trying And I'm doing just fine You inspire me So put your hand in mine Don't sway till dusk Losing track of time Turning slow With a twinkle in your eye Tell me you love life Well I like you in mine So I lean into this mic On the darkest of nights I seen glimmers of the most high Covered in light Flashy cars in my clothes All covered in white When I die I want my life remembered for the rights and wrongs My blessings I've written in songs And poems, poems, poems Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. My go-to recommendation will always be A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin. If you haven't read it already, another one of my favorites would be Watch Me Disappear by Janelle Brown and The Rain Wild Chronicles by Robin Hobb. I'm currently reading Barrow's Boys by Fergus Fleming. It's a stirring story of daring fortitude and outright lunacy. It's about a... <clears throat> Second Lord of the Admiralty, uh, John Barrow, um, and how he sent expeditions to Africa and, most importantly, the Arctic to find the Northwest Passage. I'm reading it because uh, for the last year or so I've been downright obsessed with books about the Northwest Passage and the search for it and Arctic exploration and all that stuff that happened and how many people died and stuff. I read a whole series of books called The Mark of the Lion, and it was back in um, the time of the Romans and the Colosseum and, and all of that. And it, it included everything. It had murder. It had um, massacre, actually. It also had romance. And it had loving people beyond the scars of the lion that had attacked them. Beef. Mutton. And sausage. All their signatures are. Now they can write commemorations, classical books. I wrote a book. It's called it Reality. Reality is also outside the book. This book is the standard of literature. Your modern books are not the standard of literature. 1909, and it's all in here. It's this thick, and you're not gonna read a single one of them. You don't even want a first print. 
see these beautiful cobwebs on it. Now this is a book, and I opened it, and I came out of it. And I'm still reading it, because I'm in the book. See? And you're also in a book called reality. Now you know. So you're not a moron anymore. It's not easy to write now. Skipper Dick Doc Hello, I was reading Good Omens by Neil Gaiman, my hero It's about a good angel and a bad angel Who get together because There's going to be the end of the world When the son of the devil, uh Gets to be a certain age, and they don't want the world to end because they like it too much. Anyway, it's going to be on BBC America at the end of this month, and I can't wait to see it. Dover, London, Lincoln, Leeds, Potato. Radio Flaw. Brought to you by the makers of Carter's Little Liver Pills. For over 60 years, everybody has known that the name Carter's Little Liver Pills means gentle and efficient health. So take advantage of this two-way action and ask for Carter's Little Liver Pills. está la vieja historia de sus discrepancias con Picasso. Esto es absolutamente falso. Los periodistas se han siempre entojado, porque nuestras pinturas son completamente distintas, a creer que estamos reñidos este lo contrario. Picasso, que es un ser muy generoso, fue el único que me prestó dinero para irme a América. Is there something wrong, gentlemen? We don't know yet, sir. Can you lead us to the Picasso exhibit? I don't understand. Well, please follow me. Glad to see you, Inspector Mulligan. You're just a little late. A guard has been killed, and the Picasso is missing. Examine the painting again, Mr. Waterbury. What do you see? most valuable possession. Exactly. Where's the Picasso?
For Mike Manigan and Mary Donnelly, the commission's daughter who came to visit him, one place, they told him, the police had been blown to bits by dynamite. Dan insisted on being released from the hospital and restored to duty. And that afternoon, he's back on his feet, fully recovered to health and strength by Dr. Fan's magic formula. That night, he visits the little apothecary doctor. Animal spear fire. So should you. Only I can reach my gun. I'm going into the warehouse and get to the Good, his father, and his best friend, Clark. What is it, Dr. Dugan? It's the last year's pilot. That's what the soldiers of the last world war called prison type of fancy thing, guys, because they couldn't pronounce the real name. Boy, that ought to be easy to say. There can't be many of those in this world. Got any ideas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a French novelist by the name of Philip Lee. He collects interesting firearms as a hobby. That building that saves at Picasso? Oh, my, Inspector Mulligan. Do you think you'll make it? No longer is he in the blue uniform of the city's finest. Oh, my goodness. Examine the painting again, Mr. Waterbury. What do you see? Why, why, it's not the real Picasso. This is a poor copy. The real Picasso must be found. Non, 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 non
The most recent book I've read is A Woman on the Edge of Time by Marge Piercy. This is my mom's favorite book and one of my sister's favorite books. Uh, they've both been wanting me to read it for uh, literally a couple decades. This is a book about a Latina woman named Connie ending up in an insane asylum in the 60s, 70s. And then she starts getting visited by people in the future. And they've basically like adopted this like communist, almost anarchist lifestyle. And she basically uh, ends up with this responsibility where she has to make the right decisions in the insane asylum in order for this to become the future and not a very authoritarian dystopia. There are some aspects of the book that maybe haven't aged well, and there's some we'll say ideologies uh, in the book that I don't completely agree with. Uh, the book's pretty staunchly anti-sex work, and there's a lot of resistance that Connie has to the ideas being presented that, while maybe understandable for the time, like, I think maybe the ideas are a little more accepted now, um, and sometimes that can make it hard to read, but I think the journey's worth it, and I think that there's definitely some fascinating questions and thoughts that the book presents. And yeah, no book is perfect, and there's no writer that you're ever going to completely agree with if you ever think critically about the world around you. Radio Flom is sponsored in part by Reading Do it Go read something A book, a brochure and maybe even the sign that says Use other door Fixafile.com Want a better price on printing? Let Fixafile design, create and print your next project. Carter's Little Liver Pills. A perfect remedy for your bowels. The smallest and easiest to take. Only one pill a dose. 40 in a vial. Purely vegetable. Diego Val Music. At DiegoVal.com LTHMmusic.com And Our Grand Bibliophile Level Sponsor Squadcast.fm Remote Interviews for Professional Podcasters And Bookworms Who Do Their Podcasts From Home Because They're Too Busy Reading Than Going Outside To Talk To People In Person Put down the screen and pick up a book. From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world. This has been Radio Flom. Recorded live before a studio. Contributors this week, in order, were... Steve Mualo, Craig Martinez, Mouze, Tilly. Elton John, Igor Stravinsky, Anton Rubinstein, Tristicia Langorem, Sophie Traverse, Monica Vega Latona, Thomas Coleman, Jane Spencer, Brian Spencer, Rofi Ankel, Milk Surface, Avon Lejanik, Kevin Scott Brown, Jeu de Pré.
Murphy, Elena Filian, Paul Willis, Chad André, Andrew Desfeyer, Megan Levesque, Jeremy Clark, Ali Elil de LND, Randé Tavares, Liama Circuit et Mélanie Penocine. Also featured were les annonces de Jason Spear, Audrey Daggett et Cliff Allen. Radio Flom is produced by Steve Mehalo avec Milk Surface comme lui-même. Theme music by Chelsea Davis. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo. Radio Flom is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright law. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, critique, and or artistic transformation, and may contain adult content and nudity. Want to be featured on Radio Flom? Drop us a note at www.flom.us slash contact. Flom is a modern art game app, art history resource, faux historical art movement that uses new media to generate interest in art history and education. Flom is an online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Tumblr, Instagram, and other social medias. We are all Flomist, and you could be too. Donations graciously accepted at patreon.com slash flomus. We are at Flomus on most social medias. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Cliff Allen saying thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, well, do something about it. Comrade. I recommend One Bloody Thing After Another. It's an amazing book. It's about a girl who has a crush on her best friend, but her best friend has a problem. Her mother's chained up in the basement and has far too many teeth than the average person. It's a story of high school awkwardness, ghost moms that scream at you, uh, a headless woman in the elevator, mutant werewolves. It's great. Eat. Drink. Drink.